Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome back, everybody, to the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. I am your host, Hayden Grove, joined, as always, by our Cavaliers beat reporter, Chris Fedor. And though the Cavaliers NBA season has come to a close, the NBA playoffs rage on, and there have been a lot of awards handed out, um, the Cavaliers have been on the short end of the stick in most of the words, those awards. Uh, hmm. Evan Mobley snubbed for Rookie of the Year. Kevin Love snubbed for Sixth Man of the Year. Not snubbed, maybe, but just didn't win. Uh, yeah, finished second not. in the finished in the uh, sixth man of the year voting um and then kobe alvin uh finishes second in the executive of the year voting so um a lot of second places but i think it's good to be nominated and chris i wanted to kick it off with kobe because we're going to get into a little bit of of our own kind of kobe altman thing here as we go forward um try to play kobe altman ourselves but with kobe altman uh, I don't think you can say anything poor about what he's done. I mean, I think the, the the job that he's done with the assets he's been given is pretty phenomenal to get them in this state where they have, you know, three legitimate um, foundational pieces. Um, he's added around those guys pretty well that he's stuck with Kevin Love when he, uh, you know, didn't necessarily have to. And that worked out. I mean, Kobe Allman has done, I think, a pretty remarkable job uh, with this team. Yeah, I mean, his fingerprints, Hayden, are all over it. And I was just thinking back. Um, yesterday when I was writing up the news of that, I was just thinking back to the offseason and all of the questions surrounding Kobe going into the offseason and all of the chatter about, hey, is this going to be a make-or-break season for Kobe? Does he need to prove himself that, that he belongs as general manager of this team? And, and then he goes from GM to president of basketball operations because he gets yet another promotion. And if you think about the moves that he made just over the last calendar year, re-signing Jared Allen to the contract extension that he did, you know, there were people at that time, Aiden, that were like, I don't know. I don't know that Jared Allen is a $100 million player. I don't know that he's worth $20 million per year. And then he goes out and he has an all-star season, and he's clearly an important piece of the Cavs moving forward. And I would argue – being the second best center in the Eastern Conference or third best center in the Eastern Conference, depending on whether you look at Bam Adebayo as a center or a forward, him for $20 million is essentially a bargain. Um, and then you talk about the marketing trade, trading for who turned out to be the starting small forward for the team. Um, and you talk about the Ricky Rubio trade and drafting Evan Mobley. So a big reason why the Cavs are in the position where they are going into this offseason 
feeling good about their future and people around the NBA recognizing that the Cavs have a bright future. A big part of that is the moves that Kobe Altman has, have, has been able to make over the last calendar year, even extending that to the last two years when, you know, if you include the, the, the Jared Allen robbery taking him out of that uh, James Harden trade. I mean, that was just unbelievable work. And, and sometimes it's hard to see the vision through the losses when it comes to evaluating an executive. But now that his, it has had time to come together, and now that the Cavs have actually turned it into wins in the standings, um, it's hard to say anything other than Kobe getting second, tied for second in executive of the year is well-deserved. There was a time, at least for myself, where, you know, I think as as as, you know, media members and whatnot, we get impatient. We I think fans get impatient. I think everybody gets impatient. And there's a time where, you know, there was a time where I thought this thing that didn't make any sense. It wasn't going to work, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I, you know, I didn't have the uh, the foresight to uh, to see what was coming. And uh, I think Kobe has done a remarkable job of um, just being patient and, and, and letting this thing work out. I think. Patience is such a big um, part of, you know, the, the job of a GM. And I, I don't mean to equate this to football, but, um, you know, I, I think that football-wise, there's a lot going on with the Browns right now. And, and you know, we look at the Baker Mayfield situation, and I think everybody's, at, at least my kind of first thought is, man, you know, get rid of them, just move on. But then you have to look at it from a patience standpoint, like, okay, something happens and look at it in, in, you know, into the future. I think that GMs have remarkable foresight and remarkable patience. And if they don't, they probably aren't very good at their job. <laughs> I think there's a really big lesson here over the previous three years. When evaluating a general manager or a talent evaluator, I think it's really, really important to evaluate the moves independent of the results. And that's right. really, really difficult. Because sports is a results-based business, and everybody is going to look at the win-loss record. And they're going to determine whether somebody is having success based on how many games are won. But I think when you're talking about a general manager in a rebuild, that's unfair. Because the final record is a measure of the entire team against the other team. And some teams are much further along, right? I think we can understand that there is a process that a rebuilding team is going to have to go through. And if you were somebody that was looking at Kobe Altman in the previous three seasons saying, okay, I'm only going to judge you on 22, the number of wins last year, or 19, the number of wins in the previous two seasons. It's like, okay, you can do that. And I get that, but that's not really um, a fair assessment because the judgment of Kobe and the judgment of the Cavs, they weren't ready for that level of judgment. It would be like flipping a house and putting it on the market before you finished up doing the master bathroom. You know what I mean? Like you're going to wait until it's actually ready for that level of judgment. And, and I think if you evaluated Kobe on the moves, independent of the results, I, I think you would have seen that there were some really, really good individual moves that he was making. The Colin Sexton draft pick, that was a hit. Darius Garland draft pick, that was a hit, right? And if you started looking at it through that lens, I think you probably would have seen 
that Kobe had more hits than misses on the resume. And it doesn't mean that he did everything right. And it doesn't mean that he's going to continue to, to, you know, make all of these moves that are going to put the Cavs in a position to, to be this riser in the Eastern conference. Maybe there's a move this off season that, that he makes. That's a poor one that, that comes with the territory of being a general manager. But the hope is that you have more hits than misses on that resume. And I think if we're honestly evaluating Kobe, we will see that, yes, there are misses. There's no doubt about it. Yes, there are things that he has done wrong. But there are more hits than misses on this resume. And it makes me feel good that for, for, from the Cavs' perspective, if we're talking about what's best for the organization moving forward, Kobe being president of basketball operations um, is best for this organization moving forward. And he has proven that. Yeah, I would certainly say so. Um, and that's a great way to look at it. You know, the moves independent of um, the results. I think that's a great way to look at it because, you know, on when things happen you know, and when you get value and we get a player that's that's highly valued, you know, sometimes it just doesn't work out. I mean, that's just kind of life. That's kind of something good on paper doesn't always equate to something good in practice. So I, I like that. But what I do want to do, and, and it's something that you kind of brought to me and I love the idea of it. We, I want to, I want to step in Kobe's shoes, and I want you to step in Kobe's shoes. Uh, we're going to step in Kobe's shoes together, um, and, and try to try to play GM as we go forward here for the Cavaliers. Because as much as, as you know, as much as the great things that Kobe has done for this organization, we all know that Kobe will be judged on his next move, not his last one. So yeah. um, that is how it goes in the NBA. So upcoming for the Cavaliers, there's plenty. Plenty of moves to be made, plenty of things to happen. Um, where do you want to start? You want to start with Colin Sexton? You want to start with Karis LeVert? You want to start with Kevin Love? You want to start with backup point guard? You want to start with the draft? There's a lot of decisions well, gonna, to be made. So all of those are things that we need to address. There's no doubt yeah. about it. But I want to yeah. start here. I want to ask you a question. Yep. If you're looking at the Cavs going into this offseason, yep. for you personally – what is the biggest move for them? Ooh, okay. What is the biggest move for the Cavs? I think um, that's a great question. Um, biggest move? I think there's there's a difference between biggest needs and biggest move, right? Yeah, I, I think, think so. I think I don't think there's going to be a ton of moves. I think the biggest thing that they have to deal with is Colin. Okay. I mean, I, I think either moving him or, or keeping him or whatever, I think that would be the biggest kind of thing on the list. What about you? Well, so if you think it's Colin, yep. what kind of number do you, do you think it's – do you think the move is to bring him back? Do you think the move is to trade him? I think the move – so if I'm Kobe, I'm looking yep. at trading. I'm looking at trading him, but the problem is – is that maybe I would okay. do like a sign and trade kind of thing because I don't think a team yeah. is going to want him as a restricted free agent. Or is that, you know, a, a, yeah, yeah. I mean, for me, the biggest move, and I think this has been proven over the last two years, and, and there are other ones, obviously, the Cavs need to immediately sign Darius Garland to a max extension. Yes, yes. So that they can um, continue to make him one of the focal points of this turnaround. And I think we all understand that there are three building blocks here in this organization, Darius, Jared Allen, and Evan Mobley. So 
the Darius thing goes without saying. It's yes. a priority for the organization, and I think it's a no-brainer. It's not something that the organization is going to hem and haw on. It's not something where it was last year where there was a legitimate debate about the extension for Colin Sexton. Is it going to get done? Is it not going to get done? What's the right number? All of those things. It's not the same situation. No. It's, okay, what's, what's it going to take to bring Darius here? What's it going to take for him to be you know, a centerpiece of this organization? And Rich Paul and Darius are basically going to say, I want a max extension, and the Cavs are going to be like, okay, cool, because we're going to build around you. Um, yep. So beyond that, to me, this has been proven over the last two years, Hayden, this team functions in a completely different way when they have a reliable, responsible backup point guard that has experience. Right. So that is priority number one this offseason to me. Yeah. How can the Cavs get somebody similar to Ricky Rubio last year that can play alongside Darius Garland or without him that can um, anchor the second unit, that can finish games, a starter quality backup point guard. Does that make sense? Yes, but do, but do you understand that that's where I think that Colin Sexton even figures into that equation a little bit? How so? Because, like, I mean, because I could see him coming off the bench and kind of filling a similar role. I mean, it's not like he hasn't done it. Um and you could do it. Yeah, I mean, I think it would be expensive, but I think he could figure into that conversation. So I agree with that. And I've had multiple conversations with people inside the organization and outside the organization about that very thing. Yeah. I said, okay, what if Colin is the backup point guard? Like, what if he's the guy that's running the second unit? And the problem is he's not a natural point guard. He has a scores mentality. Ricky Rubio has a passer's mentality. And I think you just need somebody that is more experienced that is going to get the team into good plays, that's going to get them into good sets, that's going to run the offense. Alan Sexton, for all the things that you like about him, he's not going to run the offense. And I think that is not an option. I don't think that's a realistic option for the Cavs is to think to themselves, all right, well, Colin is tiny. Colin is going to have the ball in his hands a lot. So we're going to make him the backup point guard. I don't think that's best for Colin, and I don't think that's best for the Cavs. I don't think he fits the parameters of the backup point guard that I'm looking for personally. Okay. Well, I think still that that's what the Cavaliers have to figure out. And if I'm Kobe Altman, I have to have that conversation. And, you know, and then, you know. And then from there, okay, we decide that that's the direction we want to go. Then, yes, then you're right. You got to find a veteran guy that can run the offense that's pass first mentality. I love all that. Right. I mean, and Ricky Rubio is an option, but then again, he's not an option until down the road. Right. Right. So it's a really complicated situation. <laughs> it is a complicated situation, but I think there are, there are people out there that fit those same parameters that can have a Ricky Rubio-like impact. I think Tyus Jones of the Memphis Grizzlies could have a Ricky Rubio-type impact. You see what Memphis is able to do when John Moran is sidelined. A big reason for that is because their backup point guard, Tyus Jones, is starter quality in certain matchups, or he's starter quality in certain doses. You know what I mean? Um, The problem is that I keep hearing that that Memphis is – 
is more than likely going to prioritize him over Kyle Anderson. Um, and I think Memphis recognizes that, that there are teams out there that are going to have the full mid-level exception that are going to be eyeing Tyus Jones. So if Memphis wants to keep him as Jaws backup and a temporary starter um, and somebody who may be able to play with Ja in certain matchups, I think Memphis recognizes, okay, if we're going to bring him back, uh, we're going to have to give him something north of the mid-level exception, which is north of about $10 million annually. And I get the sense that Memphis recognizes that, and Memphis is going to give him a contract somewhere in the range of like 12 to 15 per just to keep him away from the mid-level teams that would want him. One of them being the Cavs, obviously. So say he's done. So then you start looking at, I mean, then you start looking at some of these other options. Um, Howell Neto is an interesting name. It's somebody that I reported on about two weeks ago for Cleveland.com. He's got a relationship with Antonio Lang. It's one of Antonio Lang's favorite players. Antonio Lang being the assistant coach of the Cavs. Um, Goran Dragic, I think, is really, really fascinating. Has a lot of big game experience. Has a lot of playoff experience. Um, I think he would be okay coming off the bench in a backup type role if he's backing up Darius Garland and if he feels like he's going to get starter minutes somewhere between 28 and 32 a night. And maybe if he has an opportunity to finish games, that's somebody to consider. I think DeLon Wright is really, really interesting. He's probably um, lower on that list, below Tyus Jones, below Goran Dragic for me. But he can run a team. Um, He can play some defense. He's got some size, length, and athleticism to him. And then there's another name here um, that I I continue to hear um, when having these conversations with people around the NBA. Um, And it's very similar to Rubio because this would be a trade. Utah is probably going to shake some things up. I don't know that that means trade Donovan Mitchell. And I don't know that that means trade Rudy Rudy Gobert. It it might mean trade one of those two guys. Um, But I think it means trade some of the ancillary pieces that that might be able to give us like a different kind of look. So keep an eye on Utah. And since we're talking backup point guard, Mike Conley is a very, very interesting name. Wow. That, that that is an interesting name. That it's a very interesting name. That would be, I mean, you know, as somebody who grew up watching the uh, you know, Ohio State Buckeyes, that would be that would certainly be something. Uh, I mean, if you would have told me that Mike Conley would have had a better, I, I could talk about Mike Conley for day. I think he's one of the most underappreciated players in the NBA. But that that you, when you say it like that, it makes sense. I mean, you know, if they want to shake things up and they don't feel like. Um, I guess the thing is, what what would his value be in terms of what what do you think the market would be in terms of a free agent deal? Like, would it be like a minimum? Like, I, I don't know. So it's not a free agent deal. You'd have to trade for him because he's oh, okay. under contract. He's under contract this year for twenty two point six. He's under contract the following year for twenty four point three. Um, he is thirty five years old. He's going to be thirty five years old this season coming up. So to me, it's very similar to Rubio. Um, the problem is, if you went into last offseason for the Cavs, 
you knew that the Torian Prince contract was going to be somewhat valuable, especially right. to a team like Minnesota. Like, the Cavs don't have that standout contract that is quote-unquote expendable. Right. Like Torian Prince. But they do have guys that fit the same kind of salary parameters. Like, I know this might be something that people may scoff at, but if I'm somebody that values that backup point guard as greatly as I do, and I saw the two months of Karis LeVert and how much he struggled, this doesn't mean that if I'm the Cavs, I'm moving on from Karis LeVert at all costs. But Karis's number is very, very similar to Mike Conley. Interesting. Very interesting. So I, I just keep looking at the, the breakdown of the roster and saying to myself, okay, if Colin Sexton can give the things that the Cavs thought Karis LeVert was in the final half of, of last season and into a postseason push, like, is Karis more expendable than it seemed like? And I know what the Cavs gave up in order to get him, but they're keeping their first-round pick from that trade this year. Right. And, and maybe they have to give a first-round pick to Indiana next year. But if they don't have to give Indiana a first-round pick next year, then it just becomes two second-round picks. And the Cavs, in that case, would have only given up Ricky Rubio and multiple second-round picks for Karis LeVert, and they could potentially turn Karis LeVert into somebody like Mike Conley. Is that something that you would be on board with? I completely would. I think when you look at, if you look at Mike Conley, you look at, okay, you look at Darius Garland, Mike Conley, and Colin Sexton, or you look at uh, Darius Garland, Colin Sexton, and Karis LeVert. I think you obviously, I I think I like the Mike Conley thing better. But even then, you know, maybe you don't have Colin and Karis. So I don't know. It's It's going to be very interesting to see. That, I mean that you know yeah. you, you make a good point. I do think the Cavs would like to see Karis, you know, to to see what he can do. Um, I, I don't think they're gonna, and and I don't yeah I don't think they've given him just yet, give up on him just yet. But hell, if things aren't going well in the first month or two, and you know, and maybe Utah hasn't shaken it up yet, you know, I, I could be a possibility. Well, there's another layer to this whole thing, and and I yeah. bring up Karis Levert in part because he is contract extension eligible. Now, that doesn't mean that the Cavs have to go down that road and give him a contract extension this offseason. He's under contract for next year. But if they get the feeling, and and by the way, Karis LeVert is represented by the same agent that represented Colin Sexton last year, the the agent that Colin Sexton fired, in part because negotiations didn't go well last offseason. So if the Cavs feel like, hey, these extension talks with Karis, are not going very well, and maybe there's a chance that he walks in free agency in 23. Like, do we get out ahead of this? Are we proactive about this? We don't like the way that contract extension negotiations are going. We're going to table those. We're just going to let him play out this final year. But instead of playing out this final year, we're going to explore possibilities of moving him. That is a scenario that I could see playing out. 
right very 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 interesting i, I just i have thought i mean it's like it's like you do want to, i i think that they should want to see what Karis can bring them i do but also at the yeah, same time yeah. like i don't you definitely i don't think i mean is there other, are there other pieces they could trade for mike conley that you know i don't know if, if colin sexton here's I, the problem that would be here's yeah, the problem the the, the money mean, is high and yeah and he's old yeah <laughs> if if utah is going to be committed to shaking it up and trying to keep Donovan Mitchell um, happy. Um, and they're just trying to rejigger the roster. It, it wouldn't be a team then, Hayden, that's going into full rebuild mode, especially when they're hosting the All-Star game in 23. Right. So they they would – it's the weird team that has the veteran player where they may not be looking for younger assets or rebuild type assets in return. And they're looking for more win now players. Right. Right. So who else fits those parameters for the Cavs? I mean, you can't package Jetty Osman and Dylan Windler and and those kinds of guys and expect to get somebody like Mike Conley. You know what I mean? Like what does that do for Utah in their quest to, continue to stay relevant in the Western Conference and in the mix in the playoffs. Right. It doesn't do anything for you. Right. Maybe Colin Sexton, but he's very much a Donovan Mitchell duplicate in terms of playing style, mm-hmm. not in terms of everything about them, but in terms of playing style and, and mentality and stuff like that. Right. I don't know what that does. Um, for me, I don't consider Lowry Markinen as ex- as somebody like Karis LeVert because the Cavs don't have an option right now on the roster to potentially replace him. So if you trade Lowry Markinen, whose contract is right in that range, about $16 million, who's the starting small forward? You're going to start a Coro? You're going to start Karis LeVert at small forward? You're going to hang on to Jetty Osman and give him a start at small forward? You're going to draft somebody at pick number 14 and insert them into the every night rotation when you have playoff aspirations from night one and expect them to be the starting small forward where small forward is loaded with guys like Jason Tatum, Jimmy Butler, Tobias Harris, just in the Eastern Conference, Kevin Durant. That's a lot. That's a lot to ask of a rookie. Um, So to me personally, when looking at, the roster breakdown, Levert is more expendable than Markinen. And Markinen can play three, four, and sometimes he can play a little bit of five. And he makes the Cavs unique with the three seven-footer lineups. So I think they are looking at Markinen as somebody that they would like to hold on to if they could. So who else is it that fits those parameters that Utah may want and has a salary similar? There really is no other option. Right. Right. Not that I can see anyway. You can exactly. get three team trades. You can get four team trades and find it that way. But then it gets really, really complicated, and I don't think it it makes sense to go down that road on a podcast. Yeah, you're <laughs> exactly. That's for the real Kobe Altman to do, not not us. <laughs> you don't get paid enough for that, Craig. Um, right, right. So with okay, so you think that? So let's talk about Colin Sexton a little bit. Just regardless of the backup point guard situation. Um, you know, there's a situation there to where a team could be interested in him 
And I mean, do you bring him back at pretty much any cost or is there a line that you're going to draw um, with, you know, say a team really likes him and wants to reach out and, and, and bring him in? For me, the line that I draw, I think, is going to be pretty similar to the line that the Cavs would. There is a number that they have to keep in mind here. Um, based on if, – if they were to bring the roster back as constructed and they were to add um, the draft pick with the 14th pick, they have, Hayden – and, and if they want to use their full mid-level exception, if they want to have access to the full mid-level exception, they have a buffer of about $21 million when it comes to a Colin Sexton negotiation. If it's over that, they go into the tax, and then they don't get the full mid-level exception. They would get the taxpayer's mid-level exception. So part of what makes the Colin um, negotiation a little bit tricky is whatever contract he would get from the Cavs would have an impact on whether or not the Cavs have full access to the mid-level exception. And that's something that they have to consider because if they're looking at a backup point guard with the mid-level or they're looking at maybe a starter quality wing or a sort of starter quality wing with the mid-level, it, it's going to take like all of it. It's going to take right. a, a contract of about $10 million annually to get that kind of player. So that's something that the Cavs have to be cognizant of. And I think that's probably about the line. Um, $20 million a year for Colin would make me a little bit queasy. I think he's probably more personally 15 to 18 annually. That's something that I would be comfortable with if I were the Cavs. I think that makes sense for all of the questions that surround him. I think that makes sense for the Cavs roster breakdown moving into the future. And I think that makes sense for the kind of value that the Cavs would get on the court from Colin. But if you start getting up into 20 million. Mm. Yeah. What? So say, I don't know, we could go a bunch of hypotheticals here, but. I guess I'll yeah. put it pretty straight. Like, if 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 no team reaches out to him and and wants to, you know, gives him a big contract. Um, I mean, does this the Cavs team? Do they trade him? Do they thin him? Like, what what is the? Where do you think? Where would you? What would you do in this situation if you're Kobe? I don't think the Cavs are in any position to just let him walk for nothing. Right. So we'll start there. So if that means somebody makes him a restricted free agency offer of about 15 million annually, or let's say it's the higher end, let's say it's 18, the higher end of where I'd be comfortable. If somebody makes him that kind of offer in restricted free agency, then I think the Cavs match that. I think they need to match that. Then I think they need to explore options to potentially flip him in a sign and trade. Or I think they would then need to explore options to move Karis Liver. Okay. Um, but, but I don't think, I don't think it's if somebody makes him an offer of 18 million annually, I don't think the Cavs are just like, okay, go out the door. Because in many, many cases, it's about protecting the assets that you have. And, and here's the other thing. They could match an $18 million offer, take him into the regular season and try and flip him at the trade deadline. Yeah. But at the end of the day, 
he can be viewed as a trade asset, even on a matched contract. I think that's probably where he's best suited is that they bring him back and if they want to flip him, they can. And I think that that gives an opportunity for them to figure things out with Karras. I think that gives them an opportunity to kind of, you know, feel things out. But obviously that could change if, if again, if a team comes calling, um, no pun intended, um, then <laughs> we'll see. Um, or, or they just keep him, right? And yeah. they say, hey, look, the things that we were lacking last year, you bring to us. Right. And Colin looks good coming off the meniscus surgery. And Colin looks good after a full year on the sidelines to see the game from a different lens. And Colin looks good in this new role where he's playing more off the ball so that the ball is in the hands of Darius Garland. Or the Cavs find somebody that they think should start instead of Colin, and Colin looks good in a six-man role coming off the bench, playing about 28 to 32 minutes, and, and being something similar to Jordan Clarkson. Right. Or there are a lot of different variables involved in, in, in Colin, but I mean, I don't think we can discount the fact that they, they, they sign him in free agency or they match an offer in free agency. They bring him here and he has a really good season for the Cavs right. because I mean, for the first couple of years of this rebuild, Hayden, nobody else was scoring the ball consistently the way that Colin was. And I just don't think we can overlook the fact that just, I don't know, 15, 16 months ago, we were looking at Colin Sexton as this 20-plus point scorer at good enough efficiency that, you know, could have gotten a lot better going into last season. Right. It's just, yeah, it's kind of a shame that it was such a lost year for him. But that, I mean, it happens at the NBA. It happens at that level that, you know, guys yeah. get hurt. It happens at every level. It happens at every sport. So, yeah. Um, yeah. all right. So the Collins Sexton situation, we can kind of leave. Um, we've talked a lot about it, uh, and it'll be interesting yep. to see where it goes. Um, Kevin Love, uh, you've been asked on the Hey Chris, uh, your <laughs> Hey Chris column about it. You've been asked about it a lot. Um, you know, in the past, it was, you know, what are they going to get for Kevin Love? Because they got to trade him because he's, you know, frustrated and he's angry and he's upset and blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden he comes out and boom, plays well and says, F you haters. And, um, you know, wins or almost wins six men of the year. Um, now they're talking about now you're talking about him as a trade ship because of his number and because of, you know, his value to another team. I just, I don't know. I would not, I would not trade him. I think he's good for that locker room now. I think he's good for the organization still. Um, that's just my view of it. I don't, I don't know what you could get. Mm -hmm. I don't know if the value you could get for him. I mean, maybe, but I would just have to kind of take a look at exactly what they would want to get hit, get for him in a trade situation. This is one of the reasons why Hayden, I think, off-season activity conversations around the Cavs are a little bit complicated because they don't have a lot of centerpiece-type trade ships, right. at least ones that they would be willing to move. Right. Teams would want Mobley. Teams would want Darius. Teams would want Jared Allen. Okay. But I'm under the impression that they're all untouchable. And I think well, it's as, fair. Well should, as well they should be. I mean, you know. I think it's fair for the Cavs to look at them that sort of way. We're building around those three guys. We know we have those three guys. They fit really well together. 
Mobley can play the four. Allen can play the five. Darius can play with Evan or with Allen. He can play with them both. It just makes too much sense to break that up. Right. Okay. Um, that trio together makes too much sense together to break them up or even consider breaking them up. Unless, you know, you're talking LeBron or something like that, right? Um, so if, if the Cavs are going to get in these trade conversations for, let's just hypothetically say, Donovan Mitchell, Tobias Harris, I saw DeJounte Murray out there. That's like crazy pipe dream. But, but if they are going to get into those conversations, those pipe dream type scenarios, um, who are the Cavs giving up that is considered a centerpiece of a deal? You know what I mean? Like, even if you look back to the Kyrie Irving trade, the Cavs-Kyrie Irving trade where they sent him to Boston, there was a centerpiece of that deal. It was the Brooklyn pick, right? That turned out yep. to be Colin Sexton. And then there were the other pieces around that. But every big-time deal, for that caliber player has to have a centerpiece. So what's the centerpiece that the Cavs are going to be giving to a team? Isaac Okoro? Like, he ain't a centerpiece of a deal for that caliber player. Colin Sexton? No, he doesn't, he doesn't fall under that umbrella either. Uh, a, a, a protected first-round pick into the future? from a team that, that a lot of people think has a bright future and, and may be playoff bound as soon as this year. Is that a centerpiece of a deal? Nope. Eh, hard for me to say that. So even Kevin Love is not a centerpiece. But what Kevin Love is, Hayden, that's a mechanism to get involved in the higher-priced players. Right. Because of the number. So if you – if, yeah, I mean, if you want to have any kind of conversation about Tobias Harris, Kevin's number is close enough to Tobias Harris. You start there, and then you find the pieces that Philadelphia would actually want, right? Or if you want to have a conversation about Donovan Mitchell, you start with Kevin Love to make the salary match, and then you can say, all right, what are the other pieces that we have to include that are going to entice you? So Kevin opens the door to those higher-priced players. And I don't know who falls under that category that's realistic that the Cavs could get. And I would probably have to be presented with some hypothetical trade to say whether or not I would move Kevin in that situation or I wouldn't move Kevin in that situation. But given the fact that he was unplayable in the biggest game of the year against the, the Atlanta Hawks, like – there are limitations, and, and I don't think, even though Kevin finished second in six-man of the year and I gave him my six-man of the year vote, I don't think the Cavs should completely close the door on the possibility of moving him because he is a very valuable expiring contract. And it's not just that his contract is expiring. It's that, like we've been talking about, he matches the salary of some of the players that the Cavs may want to get involved in if they feel like this is the off season to take a big swing. Kevin Love from Mike Conley. Who says <laughs> Well, the Cavs would have to throw in uh, somebody else from Utah uh, to get the salaries a little bit yeah. closer. Cause I think Kevin's number is about 29. So they have to take 7 million away or so from Utah in that scenario, or they have to find a third team or whatever. Like, 
I'm open to that. That yeah. is a deal that if I were the Cavs, I'd be open to. Yeah. Because I think the Cavs have enough options of guys that could fill something close to the Kevin Love role and, and play the minutes that he would play at the power forward spot. But this team desperately, Hayden, if they're going to function the same kind of way, they desperately need that backup point guard. Yeah. We've seen it the last two years. They yeah. desperately need another playmaker, another creator to take some of that burden off of Darius Garland. Yep. We definitely saw it last year and we saw it the year before too. I mean, it's been one of their biggest kind of uh, downfalls until Ricky Rubio came in. So um, I think that that's definitely. So if Utah said, Hey, we need some shooting and some spacing in our front court. And, and we feel okay enough with Kevin because we have Rudy Gobert as the anchor of the defense protecting him. And that was something that Utah felt like was going to make them better. Then I do think that's something that the Cavs should explore, despite the fact that Kevin had a great season last year, despite the fact that J.B. Bickerstaff and Kevin are very, very close, and despite the fact that Kevin can still be an on-court and off-court asset for the Cavs, there may be like some pieces out there that that would fit the roster composition in a better way. All right, so we got Kevin Love, we got um, Colin Sexton, um, we said Darius Garland, we're going to sign to a big extension as soon as possible. Um, what do you do about Levert? Levert? What do you do about Levert? Yeah, I mean, I I let him play. I, I mean, I don't do anything. I let him play. I, I check, see, see what he's you know start starts the year as, and then if he's starting to show signs of being the guy that he's you know that we thought he was going to be, then you know then you start to think about extension. But for the time being, for the off season, I don't do anything at this point unless. Again, unless there's a trade offer I really love and the number, you know, is close with the team and there's a player, you know, like we said, like a, a really good backup point guard that would make sense. But I think that I think you got to let him prove. I think you got to let him give it get an opportunity. Um, not that last year, I didn't think it was a disaster, but it wasn't what they wanted. And uh, I think mm, you uh-huh. I think that um, I think the Karras can come in and be better. I do. Well. There are a couple of things here. Um, number one, that there are multiple people inside the organization that are optimistic that the Karis Levert that the Cavs saw last year is not going to be the one that they would see this coming season. Right. There is belief that he can be an above-average player, either playing the two-guard full-time or splitting between the two-guard and the small forward spot. So... That belief, given what they gave up in order to get him, and also the belief in his versatility, um, I, I could see them being just fine bringing him back, having no problem with that at all. Yeah. The other thing is, the Cavs had been waiting for months, Hayden, to use a specific five-man lineup. Darius Garland, Karis LeVert, Lowry Markinen. Evan Mobley, and Jared Allen. Right. They got 24 minutes out of that lineup. Yeah. <laughs> 24 minutes. And it happened in the playing game against Atlanta. Because when Jared Allen was healthy, Karis LeVert wasn't. And when Karis LeVert was healthy, Jared Allen wasn't. So it was complicated. But in those 24 minutes against Atlanta, that lineup was awesome. Small sample size, I get it. 
certain matchup against Atlanta. I get it. But in those 24 minutes, that five-man lineup had a net rating of 17. They outscored the Atlanta Hawks 17 points per 100 possession. That is really something that you have to chew on going into the offseason and say, hey, whoa, that thing has potential. We didn't get the opportunity that we wanted to see it. But when we made the trade for Karras and we had a grand plan and we had a specific vision, it was that five-man group. And in the biggest game of the year, that group was awesome. Mm -hmm. Maybe we come back next year with that and they get more time together. And they get a whole off season together. And that five-man lineup can decimate teams because it's got enough scoring. It's got enough defense. It's got enough length. It's got enough athleticism. It's a really, really exciting um, five-man lineup. Even for me, somebody who thinks that Karras is quote-unquote expendable. Um, and that doesn't mean that he's just going to go for anybody. It would have to be in the right deal. But in the right deal, I think he's expendable. Even for me, I would admit that that five-man lineup would be really, really exciting moving forward. Chris, I think if I'm going to be Kobe and, and I'm going to play GM, I think my I think my roster is going to look really similar. I think it's going to have Kevin Love on it. I think it's going to have a starting yep. lineup of Darius Garland, Colin, or Karis LeVert, um, Larry Markkinen, Evan Mobley, and Jared Allen. I think uh, I'm going to bring Ricky Rubio back. I think I'm going to also add maybe a guy like Goran Dragic, um, you know, to be to play that role uh, until Ricky's ready. Um, I think uh, Kevin Love stays on the roster. So I mean, draft somebody at 14. You know, yeah, unless unless you know there's a, there's a, something that comes up and they want to add. Um, right. But yeah, I, I I think running it back is kind of the way to go. And if there are ways to, I'm not saying that they can't get better, but you're right. Like the, the chips aren't necessarily, they don't have enough chips to necessarily get better in the way that like, that turns them into a powerhouse automatically. Like, I think they can be a powerhouse just with what they have. So, you know, I think Kobe's made the moves and, and, um, you know, you look at the years of LeBron, I'm not comparing this to LeBron years at all, trust me, but like, you know, they, ne they made their big move and then they made a lot of small moves and they, they kind of got yeah. their, they made their, you know, they would add a Kyle Korver, they would add a, you know, Jordan Clarkson and Larry Nance. So they would add a, you know, I mean, they added players here and there, Shump and J.R. Smith. I mean, it was never mm. anything ginormous. So, um, yeah. but it worked. So I think that, that. This team could get by with, or not get by, this team can succeed with what they have. And then you add, you know, little pieces here and there. Um, and maybe if they don't like 14, they don't like anyone there, maybe they can flip 14 for somebody for an expiring contract or something. So I would keep it pretty similar. And there is a strong argument to just run it back and hope for better health and hope for internal improvement from Darius Garland again, Jared Allen to get better, Evan Mobley to get better, Isaac Okoro to get better. Karis Levert to get more comfortable. Colin Sexting could be viewed as the quote-unquote off-season addition because he only played yeah. 11 games last year in a 44-win season. So you could view him as an addition. There is a strong argument to do that. They won 44 games. They probably would have won 50 or 50-plus 50 if they weren't wrecked by injury. Right. They had some of the worst injury luck that I can remember of a team. Um, and 
I, I could see them going that direction and being okay going that direction. And I wouldn't hate that um, because I think there's an argument to be made that that's, you know, chemistry and camaraderie, very, very delicate. And when you're trying to build this thing organically, one of the issues that you could run into is getting a little bit, um, getting a little bit too move oriented and shaking a good thing up a little bit too soon. Um, And, and I think that's a line that, that Kobe in the front office is going to have to walk this off season, because on one hand, we would all admit that they need to get better. Yeah. They didn't even make the playoffs. On the other hand, it's not like they had a disastrous season that, that would make them feel compelled to completely shake it up. If they had won 28 games last year in year four of the rebuild, then you could look at it probably and say, all right, we're far enough along in this rebuild. There's time to really shake some things up. It's time to do something drastic because what we're doing is not working as well as it needs to at this point of the rebuild. But they didn't have that kind of season. You know, they had a really, really exciting, promising season. And there are reasons to think that they could increase their ceiling even more by not doing something drastic. So it's a really, really delicate balance for Kobe Altman in the front office this offseason. I I completely agree, and that's why I'm saying I I kind of see both sides of it. I definitely see the side that they should stick together and keep together. But even if they keep it together, I do that. You know, we're not saying that they don't need a piece or two, and they definitely do. You know, I, I don't think right. there's anything. It's not a finished product. No, not at all. But they don't need like a altering franchise altering piece. You know, I think Karis was thought to be that. I think Colin Sexton honestly could kind of be that if he comes in and comes off the bench and really gives him a spark. Um, you know, I know that he can, you know, he's been on the team, but he can kind of be looked at as a, a piece that they didn't have last year. I think they could have used him down the stretch. So, um, I would keep it pretty similar. And at 14, you know, I know it's not a great pick. I, I don't know. I don't know what I would do with it yet. Um, yeah, it is. Maybe you draft a guy like Branham, you draft a guy, you know, that plays small forward that you think can potentially be that kind of piece that everybody's looking for. I mean, there's no guarantee yeah. that it's that it is, but there's no guarantee that it's not either, you know? Right. So And here's the other part of this whole equation when you talk about making that significant addition this offseason. Who is that? Yeah. Okay, so we've thrown out these different names, right? Would the Cavs be better with Donovan Mitchell? Of course. Would they be better with DeJounte Murray? Of course. I don't think anybody's going to say don't explore those possibilities. But if we're talking about the weak points on this roster and trying to address those, is it a guy like DeJounte Murray? Is it a guy like Donovan Mitchell? Is it a guy like Bradley Beal? I don't think it is. What the Cavs need more than anything else, Hayden, beyond the reliable veteran backup point guard, they need a two-way wing. They need somebody that's going to play that position that is going to make a difference in a postseason series. 
They can't get Jason Tatum, obviously, but that type of player is what's missing on this roster. Would you agree? Yes. 100%. It's not DeJounte Murray. <laughs> you know? No. It's not Donovan Mitchell. It's not Bradley Beal. So who right. is that guy that they could go out and, and shake this thing up for that would make them significantly better? I don't know who it is. I can't find that guy. I don't either. I don't either. And I don't know if so the Cavs if, can. If, if we were having a conversation today and it was well known that hypothetically Brandon Ingram of the New Orleans Pelicans was available. This conversation to me is a lot different. Yes. But, but the guys that are that caliber that are available, they aren't two-way wings. They're guards. Yep. Cavs have a lot of guys that could fill that guard role. And, and I'm not saying that Colin Sexton is Donovan Mitchell, but he can do a lot of the things that Donovan Mitchell would do for the Cavs. He could do a lot of the things that Bradley Beal would do for the Cavs. If we're talking about significantly upgrading this roster and shaking it up, you better show me a two-way wing that is worth doing that for. Could not agree more. Could not agree more. But you're right. It's hard to find. I mean, like you said, the two-way wing is maybe the most, you know, coveted piece in all of the NBA. I mean, so why wouldn't, you know, why would it, why would they be available? Right. So... The sense. only one that comes to mind that is somewhat close enough is Jeremy Grant. And I still just like don't know who he is or right. what his best role would be. He's probably on a playoff team. He's probably the third option offensively. Yeah, but I, I just I don't think that that's necessarily something that makes them immediately better. Like or it makes them better, but right. I don't think like. I don't think it like it makes, you know, depending upon what they trade, I mean, does it instantly upgrade them? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. All right. That's the other thing that I'm having a hard time with this offseason is like finding that guy that is realistically available, that the Cavs have the assets that they could go and get. Is it Zach Levine? If Chicago decided to make a drastic move, and I'm not saying that they would, but they've got a decision to make when it comes to his contract here. Is it Zach Levine? I mean, he's basically a two guard. Right. And, and I think he would make them better, just like DeJounte Murray would make them better. You would figure it out. J.B. Vickerstaff would figure it out with Darius Garland and DeJounte Murray. Um, J.B. Vickerstaff would figure it out with Darius Garland and, and Donovan Mitchell. He would figure it out with Darius Garland and Zach Levine. But, but to me, none of those things fall under the category of the Cavs just addressed their greatest weakness. Correct. Correct. The good news is it's not our job, but also the bad news is we don't get paid. <laughs> the, the, the bad news is that we don't get paid the way that Kobe Ullman does. So, you know, yeah, exactly. it's a tough job, but, you know, you get there's benefits and uh, there's downfalls of each job. So I think that Kobe Ullman's done a he's earned every every good. Uh, good thing that comes with the job to this point um but yeah i think that i mean i think we're kind of we've we've addressed everything uh, that i can think of unless there's something else that you uh that you want to bring up but i mean it it is fascinating and i think the fascinating part is that we'll be able to watch you know it all unfold after this uh nba playoffs um finishes up any uh, any thoughts on the playoffs to uh to close this out 
Um, I mean, I think what the playoffs are showing us, Hayden, again, they're reiterating that there are levels to good teams. And even though Philadelphia was a top four team in the Eastern Conference, it was a flawed top four team in the Eastern Conference, and they weren't in the same conversation as Milwaukee and Miami and Boston. And I think the other thing that these playoffs are highlighting, it is very, very difficult. And this is something that the Cavs have to consider. And it is very, very difficult to build a franchise and, and, and win a championship with the point guard as the biggest piece. Yep. I would agree with that. Unless it's like, unless it's like Luka Doncic, who has wing size and he happens to play point guard, or it's somebody like Stephen Curry who has revolutionized the game and is going to go down as maybe the greatest shooter of all time. That is an anomaly. Both those guys are anomalies. I don't even think it's even a question that he's the greatest shooter of all time. Yeah, probably not. At this point, you're probably right about that. Yeah. I mean, there are some other ones that were really, really good in, in the past, but none that have done it at this level as Steph has. I mean, my God. So you're right. You're right. So we're talking about anomaly type point guards that some of these teams are built around. You know what I mean? Other than that, like it's really, really difficult to win a championship that way. And this doesn't mean for the Cavs to not go out and give Darius the max. They have to go out and give him the max extension. But at some point, they're going to have to build this thing around like Evan Mobley. Um, They're going to have to transition into Evan being the franchise focal point. Yep. Maybe it happens this year organically. Um, obviously, it's Darius Garland's offense. It's his team. He's a big leader on the team. Um, he's further along in his career. He's more established in his career than Mobley. But if the Cavs are going to reach the top, 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 um, Mobley's going to have to be the one that gets them there, not I Darius think, Garland. I think that there is that is my most exciting thing for next year is to see how Evan Mobley continues to grow. I mean, you know, he's their franchise piece. He's the one that, you know, that we that he, that's the cornerstone. So I'm excited to see him uh, see him work and see him to continue to grow for sure. Yeah. Um, yep. All right, everybody. Well, thank you for joining us on this latest episode. We appreciate it. Hope you're all if you're if you're in Northeast Ohio, at least we hope you're all enjoying some wonderful weather. It's been beautiful um, lately uh, here in Northeast Ohio. So we hope you're enjoying it. Chris, hope you're enjoying your time with the uh, the little one. And um, anything else you uh, you got for us? No, that's it, man. All right. Well, keep enjoying it. Keep enjoying him. Keep him safe. Keep him happy. Keep him healthy. Keep keep the family safe, happy and healthy. I know that uh, I know that you can do that very well. Yep. You know it. All right. Thank you, everybody, for listening to the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. We appreciate you. For more, go to Cleveland.com slash Cavs and also go to the top of the Cleveland.com slash Cavs page. Click on the blue banner for Chris's subtext, $3.99 a month, 14-day free trial. Get all kinds of insight analysis news from uh, Chris himself straight sent straight to your phone. Um, all kind of, like I said, news analysis, insights before Twitter, before anywhere else on this Cleveland Cavaliers team. What better what time to do it than right now before the offseason when things are really going to get picking up and all these decisions are going to be made and all these things are going to be talked about. So, like I said, $3.99 a month, 14-day free trial. Go check it out at cleveland.com slash Cavs. Click the blue banner at the top of the page. Otherwise, we will talk to you soon. Thanks so much for listening. Take care.